A few years ago, a Focus staff member asked Alexis if she had any prayer needs. And at that time, my heart was so tender, and I really was feeling like I wanted to give up on this marriage. So I just told him quite straightly, like, I need help. We need help. Our marriage is very difficult, and would you pray for our marriage? And he did. She also found help on the radio. Focus on the family saved my life. It just was the lifeline that I needed every single day to keep going and keep hoping. I'm Jim Daly. Help us save more families every month by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. You know, our enemy's going to try to tell us that it's too hard, that you can't have victory. You've tried too many times before. It's always going to be the same. And that is not the God that we know. God says to us that we are a new creation. He says that he is an ever-present help in trouble. He says that his plans for us are good to prosper us and not to harm us. And so we are not powerless. We are not the victims of our past. We do not have to listen to shaming language, but we will need to exchange those unhealthy patterns with God-honoring habits. It starts with truth and then practical steps in the right direction. That's Amber Leah, and she joins us today on Focus on the Family. Thanks for being with us. Our host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, what is your go-to food when you're stressed out? When I'm stressed out, if there is ice cream in the house, I will eat it. Now, how do you know this? I think I'm not connecting the dots between stress and eating. Um, I just like ice cream. I, <laughs> Basically, I'll eat it because I like it. It tastes I, good. Maybe that's why I eat it. I'm not stressed, Jim. I'm fine. <laughs> is that a stress thing? No. I I, well, you asked the question, and that's what I would eat if I'm stressed out. Well, okay. I'd say ice cream's probably mine, too. What's your, chocolate or vanilla? I'm a straight vanilla bean guy. Give vanilla me a good, bean. It's not good bad, but chocolate's bean. good, too. It is. Try it once in a while. Okay. Uh, you know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat... Or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I say, okay, I'm going to eat ice cream to the glory of God. Well, that's a good approach. I'll I'll try that tonight. (laughs) Try it tonight. Uh, But it does give us a little insight, and we're going to learn a lot today. This might be one of those shows that's an intervention for me. I don't know. Maybe the team has planned this uh, so I can identify Ah, that the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. I eat certain things during stressful periods. I'm not sure. But I'm looking forward to uh, talking with our great friend, Amber Leah, who's written a wonderful book, Food Triggers. I think most of us are going to learn some things today. Indeed. Uh, Amber has been here before. She's a popular guest. She's a certified health coach, uh, a blogger, a speaker, a work-from-home mom. She has four boys. Somehow she finds time to write great books. And uh, as you said, Jim, uh, her book, Food Triggers, Exchanging Unhealthy Patterns for God-Honoring Habits, uh, that book forms the foundation for our conversation today. Get a copy of that from us here at the ministry, 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-IN-THE-WORD-FAMILY, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Amber, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I always love being here. Now, this is an off-the-cuff question. It just hit me. You probably know enough about food triggers that you can categorize people like me, like John, maybe like Gene and Dina. I mean, 
seriously, I just don't think of uh, food being a kind of a pressure thing for me. Yeah, I would just well, eat ice cream because I like it. It tastes yeah, good. Yeah. That, Am I wrong? N- that makes a lot of sense. You're not <laughs> wrong. And you're actually hitting the nail on the head because culturally, we have become fairly cavalier about food oh, and our eating me. habits. <laughs> what so is, you're part so of the norm. what does that mean, cavalier about your eating habits? How would I need to change? Well, statistically, the majority of us are overweight or obese currently in the Mer- in America. Okay, now you're hitting below the belt. <laughs> I'm sorry. And listen, I, it, there's no judgment because that was me just a few years ago. So I'm right there with you. I speak from a place of experience. But many of us are turning to food to cope. And it has become normalized that we are using food for purposes that it was really never ultimately intended for. Mm. And that was where I found myself in a bit of a, a pit. And God has been faithful to help me get out of it. So that old adage, uh, you know, don't live to eat, eat to live. Right. How does that apply in a biblical context? Well, you know, anything that we make into an idol is going to be a path toward our demise. And what a lot of us don't realize, what I didn't realize, is that I was using food for the wrong purposes. And so it had become an idol for me. So anytime that food is turned to for reasons other than its ideal purpose, which is fuel, you know, food is supposed to be for nutrition. It's supposed to help us maintain our bodies, our temple. God calls us to take care of our bodies and to steward them well. And so when we start turning food into anything other than nourishment and fuel, and doesn't mean we can't enjoy it, we can, but For me, I was enjoying it too much, and I was using it for emotional purposes and for other things that it was never intended to be used for, and that's where I went wrong. Uh, When you started your health journey, your friend Tammy raised a question for you. What did she ask you, and why did that make such an impact? Yes, I had known Tammy for many years. We had met at church in a Mommy and Me class, and we were both fairly fit at that time. 15 years later, fast forward, many kids later, and she and I both were at a place where we had allowed our weight to get out of control. And I was watching her. She was sharing online about her weight loss journey. And I'm watching her. She's getting healthier and I'm getting more miserable meanwhile. And so finally, I just had a conversation with her. I said, Tammy, you know, what are you doing? How do I get a hold of this in my own life? And she said, look, I I got rid of a diet mentality. I dialed in on what was the root cause of all of this. I found a simple plan that worked for me. And you just need to make a decision. And you need to find out why you want to get healthy. Why is this the right time? And so I thought about that and I considered, why do I need to make a change? And there were several key things that came to the forefront for me as I considered, am I going to keep going on this path toward becoming unhealthier and unhealthier? Or am I going to make a change? And I realized, you know, I'd wake up in the morning. I bet a lot of listeners feel this way. I'd open the closet door and it was just like dread. I hated getting dressed in the morning hmm. because I was very uncomfortable. I didn't like the way I looked in the mirror, though that was not the the main reason I needed to get healthy. I really got to about 2 o'clock the end of the day, you know, the afternoon, the school day with my kids. I was tired all the time. I realized that my kids were watching what I was eating. I was setting a pattern for them, and none of that was okay with me. I needed to make some changes. So those whys were pretty strong for me, for my kids' sake. And then I did feel some spiritual conviction too that I wasn't taking care of my body you know that verse that you mentioned earlier whatever you do whether you eat or drink do it as unto the Lord 
I was kind of doing lots of other ministry stuff as unto the Lord, but I wasn't literally considering what I was eating or drinking. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one of the things I'm hearing clearly is you had to be motivated. I mean, you were in this funk, if I could call it that, a fog. And, you know, you're just getting up every day, loathing, looking in and getting dressed. And then by two o'clock, no energy. I hear all that. And then that motivation occurred. So what are the practical ways to achieve Uh, Once you've got the realization that I'm not in a good place, now what do I have to do? What are some of those practical things that we can do? So I began to just look at my day. Where were the times of day and the types of foods that I was eating that were triggers for me? And once I got clear on that, it made it much easier to put a practical change into place. So I noticed for me, okay, I'm tired by the end of the day. I have these four lovely boys, but... By the time they're in bed, I'm wiped out, and I just wanted to sink onto the couch and reward myself for getting through the day. And so for me, like John, is ice cream. I would go to the freezer, open up the refrigerator. Guy would scoop the ice cream for me, and it wasn't just a serving size. It was a nice big bowl full, and I would eat ice cream every night for years. And so I began to realize that if I keep doing that, obviously that's not going to be supportive of getting healthier. And so I had to say, okay, put a different plan in place. You have to put a little sign on the freezer, Amber, kitchen's closed. After dinner, brush your teeth so that you have that minty fresh feeling. You don't want to sabotage that. Oh, that's and a just, good idea. Yeah, just some simple practical things to remind me, hey, that old pattern isn't serving you. You're doing things differently now. The kitchen's closed. And then internally, I also had to realize that the pull to ice cream, to sugar, to some of those foods was a numbing mechanism for me. As I spent time with the Lord and really tried to pray through, Lord, why am I turning to food so often? Is it just the sugar or is there more to it? I realized that I was not processing a lot of my emotions, grief in particular. I'd had a miscarriage a couple years earlier, and there were things that I just had not fully worked through with the Lord. And I knew that I needed to process that emotionally, and that was a key turning point for me in my health journey. And I think, I mean, I'm being a little whimsical with this, but... You know, connecting the triggers to your pattern, I think for some of us is a little difficult is what I'm trying to express. So how do we dig in and actually, you know, those are very, you know, very strong connections for you, the miscarriage and, you know, and I just don't, I'm not in that place. Mm So I'm obviously missing it. Yeah. Um, Puffy Cheetos are pretty good. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, and if you do that like one time a week, Mm -hmm. is that like, Not not necessarily. I think it just really depends, again, on a pattern. And we, a lot of us know that the things that we're eating are not helping us. A lot of us feel shame about that. And some of the ways that we can detect that is, are we eating food and then hiding the wrappers? Are we going through the drive-through and not telling anybody before we get home? There are certain things that we do that actually are, you know, warning signs that, hey, this is being, you're using food for temporary pleasure, for temporary satisfaction. But then what happens is then the shame comes and the right. conviction comes and the guilty feelings come and we're worse off than when we started. Okay. I think boredom eating mm-hmm. might be more a category I can relate to. You know, you just, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. So you're not even hungry and you right. go to the pantry and open it up and find those puffy Cheetos. It is a big one. Yeah. The, <laughs> the boredom for me, that started early on when I was a mom with young kids. I had a big transition in life. I had been working. Now I'm home with kids. My husband is going off to work. And while I wanted to always be a mom, that was the thing I looked forward to most in my life. I actually found myself 
myself not enjoying the mundaneness of that everyday routine. Uh-huh. And I would, you know, get up, cook, clean, do the parenting, and I started to grow frustrated with my life. I thought, really, you know, that I don't feel like I have a lot of purpose. I mean, I know that raising my kids is an honor and that it's a blessing, but try as I may, I was bored. I didn't enjoy it like I thought I would. I loved seeing my kids discover their world. Meanwhile, my world started to shrink and it felt much smaller. And so that just turned to, well, I can cook. I'm home. I'll just start cooking all these amazing things and I'll try new recipes. It's just something creative to do. Fill the time. And before long, you know, somebody had to eat all that food. It was me. I was the one that was there. The littles didn't eat very much. So it put me on a trajectory of this pattern of overeating as well. And it was because I felt very purposeless Mm. at that time. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Family's Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash life. That's focusonthefamily.com slash life. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Describe how you get rid of the the boredom eating, though. How do you give it the boot? And what do you replace it with? Okay, so the ultimate food fight is exchanging unhealthy patterns for God-honoring habits. That was the ultimate food fight for me. So I had to look at that pattern of just cooking to try to fill a hole, which it didn't really, just being bored and say, okay, Lord, I need to get back to my quiet time with you and be Ah. more intentional. So when my kids took a nap, instead of baking, I went back to my Bible and I started to explore, like, what is the thing that I'm seeking? What is the hunger that I'm really craving? You know, what is that thing? And so I began to realize that I just felt purposeless, even though I loved being a mom. I didn't feel fulfilled. And I began to recognize that I had a lot of selfishness, that I was making everything about me, you know, that I wasn't enjoying this instead of, again, doing everything as unto the Lord, you know, even that mundane task of taking care of the home and, and the joy of being with my kids, that there was great purpose in that, that that was a blessing. And I had to reorient my thinking and where God had me in that season and turn to him instead of the food. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, try something different than putting something in your mouth, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. And it, so, it is such a weird base habit, though, It is as a human being. Why do we lean into that? Because it's what everybody around us does, too. I mean, culturally, this is just what we do. Everything is so focused on food, and it's very accessible. And it's everywhere you look, there is food. And so we're just conditioned to turn to food at every moment for everything, for every occasion. 
If we're sad, we turn to food. If we're bored, we turn to food. If we're excited, we're celebrating a win at a soccer game. Who's the snack parent? You know, who's got all the treats? Everything is about food. At church, it's food. Christmas time, it's the cookie exchange. You know, we're just very much focused on food as a culture. That does say something about how God wired us, though. There is mm-hmm. a uniqueness yeah. there, the, the bonding around a meal, et cetera, family yes. evenings around dinner. And yeah. there's something really good about eating together. Yeah. And we're designed for community. But when community means food, and that's our focus, we can get off track. So we don't want to neglect getting together. We don't want to neglect being together. But we also want to be careful about what that culture looks like and how can we foster it to make it something that's actually going to serve both our health journey and the other things we're looking for in community, like the fellowship. So, you know, my husband, he had a a group of uh, gentlemen that would come to our house and this we, is the fire pit yes the oh, fire good, pit good. we I had the fire pit and we would you know hollywood's a difficult place to be when you are a believer and so they need encouragement and so we would put on this lavish meal and a just a good old fashioned fire pit in the backyard overlooking the valley beautiful just some time of encouragement and prayer for these men working in hollywood And I would take a lot of pride in putting out this lavish spread of lasagna and garlic bread and and all kinds of desserts, multiple desserts, you know, lemon pie with lemons from my orchard. And I took a lot of pride in that. You had me at lasagna. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) My Italian husband, that was a a reward for him. Yeah. And so eventually, though, when I started on my health journey and I made a decision to change and to really find my purpose instead of continuing to pick my poison, which was the food, and to really begin to look at how I even host events and and approach community, I had to change all that. You know, we started doing barbecued chicken and lovely salads. And instead of all the desserts, you know, we would have a fruit platter with some yogurt dip and it changed. And guess what? Nobody complained. Nobody said, oh, I missed the cheesy garlic bread. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they came back the second and third time. They kept coming back because really they were there for the fellowship. Mm. That was their focus. I was trying to make it about me and about the food, and they didn't really care about that. It was the gathering together that mattered. Okay, so that's good because you're hosting that. You can decide what to make and what to put yes. out, and you can feel good about right? it. But when you're going to somebody else's mm. fire pit party, yeah, what do you do to manage, you know, yes. kind of looking for the things you can eat? Yeah, so when you're going to a gathering and you know there's going to be food there, and likely it will be things that you may not want to eat, I say don't go hungry. First of all, eat before you go. Choose something healthy that you feel good about. If it's a potluck or something that you can contribute to, or even if someone's willing to host, you can still offer to bring something. Bring something that is on whatever plan that you want to use or whatever type of diet that you may be um, fostering in your home and, and contribute in a way that's healthy. But ultimately, I try to make a goal at every gathering to be a blessing to others, to meet at least three new people to engage in conversation and to stay away from the food table. I don't need to make that my focus. It doesn't have to be all about the birthday cake. Instead, what about the people that are there? What what in what ways mm. can I notice the decor and the and the fun things around me and all the other touches that the hostess or host has um, done to make this a, a lovely event and not so much care about the food? No, it's so true. And last night, I mean, we had some guests over for dinner and. I wasn't feeling like dessert. I didn't need it. Um, we had a good meal. And then Jean put cheesecake out for everybody. Yeah. And that's the point you got to say, yeah, even if it's on the plate in front of yes. you, 
you got to kind of push it away. Yeah. I didn't really have the desire, but right. I ended up eating it. Yeah. Just because it was there. It's there. Yeah. And you know, I think a big thing that people miss out on when they're going to gatherings or events or they've just been asked over for dinner is I wasn't to advocate- blaming Jean, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but advocating for yourself, you know, saying to your host, hey, I just want you to know I'm, I'm on a health journey. I'm eating healthier these days. I do not want to inconvenience you. Is there something maybe I could bring? Oftentimes people will want to accommodate you. Yeah. You know, they're there to bless you. And so advocate for yourself. Don't be afraid to let people know about the changes that you're making. Sticking with that stress eating, why does that have such a hold on us again? We kind of started there, but we're wrapping into the end here. And what can we do about it? So with stress, there's a, a few things that we can do. A lot of us exercise to lose weight. And exercise for me, my new way of thinking is that exercise is really for stress management. It releases endorphins. Yeah, it does. So if we can think of exercise not as a way to lose weight, let's let our nutrition do that. But let's think of exercise activity just to release endorphins to help with stress. But then also looking at that pattern of turning to food when we're stressed and let's replace it with a God-honoring habit. You know, maybe you just need to take a bubble bath. Maybe you need to put on some worship music and light a candle and just have some calm behaviors. There's certain things that we can do practically to combat those patterns. But then also, again, always to go to the root of it and say, okay, Lord, you tell me to cast all my anxiety on you. And I'm not doing that. So I need your help. I need you to help me cast my anxiety on you to put in place some healthier habits that are going to combat the stress and to recognize that God is for us. And he doesn't want us to operate from a place of feeling emotion, for our emotions to um, enslave us. Our emotions should serve us. So paying attention Mm. to the stress, to the emotions, to all of those things, and then going back to God and saying, Lord, help me to use these emotions, these circumstances for good and not for my harm. Yeah, I like the idea of finding ways to calm yourself down because this environment that we're in always ratchets you up. Mm -hmm. So to be intentional about finding ways to calm down Yes. That's a good thing. And yeah. I'd say even a biblical thing, yeah. right? It's Absolutely. kind of separating mm-hmm. like Jesus did, separated yes. from the crowds from time to time. Right. I mean, I'm sure the disciples were thinking, but you're God. You can do so much in this time. So mm-hmm. just keep working, Lord. Yes. I mean, that's not yeah. healthy. He didn't demonstrate no. that. Right. And he peeled off and got mm-hmm. kind of uh, got his tank filled yeah. up again. Yeah. Let me Let me ask you in terms of emotions, you have a three-step process that you use. I think it's stop, challenge, choose. Describe yes. those. Well, emotions beckon us to move quickly. They want us to react and to do it now. That never happens to John, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh. and emotions are great, but they are not great if we're often acting in the moment and we're irrational about it. So the idea of stop, challenge, choose, and I like to even put breathe in there. Stop, yeah. challenge, breathe, and then make a better choice. Stop when the emotions rise, challenge them, dig a little bit and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why is my body tensing? Why am I having the urge to drive towards the drive-thru instead of home? What's happening right here? Challenge it, dig into it, and then choose, make a choice. I'm either going to choose to give in and to yield to this moment, or I'm going to choose to honor what I've committed to in being healthy and remembering your why in that moment. When I picture my kids, when I'm tempted by that cheesecake that Jean's putting out, (laughs) I remind myself, I've had cheesecake before. You know, I know what it tastes like. Why do I want to have that right now? Is it just because it's there? 
Is it because I've had a rough day? Well, I don't need that. I'm going to make a different choice. Or, you know what? I'm fine emotionally. This is lovely. I want to honor my guests that they put this out for me. I can have a couple bites. I don't have to go overboard and enjoy it. One meal is not going to erase my whole healthy lifestyle. But being cognizant, being aware, being intentional, I think is what God calls us to do. That's self-control. You know, and I hadn't thought of this, but it popped up in that example, the feeling that you had to finish everything. Right. I mean, that's where I make a mistake. Yeah. I mean, somehow, I don't know how I got that beaten into my head, right. but somehow if something's on your plate, you got to eat it all. Yeah. A that's, lot of us grew up that that's way. That's so counterintuitive, <laughs> yeah. right? It Why is. do I have to eat it all? Yeah. Well, because there's starving children somewhere. Right. What yeah. kind of argument is that? I know. And globally right now, more people are actually dying from overeating than malnourishment. So those days are wow. behind us. Wow. Think of that. And portions are out of control. And that's we a good way to do it though, mm-hmm. isn't it? I've heard yeah. people that have done that. They just cut the meal in half. Absolutely. Put the, it's a the great other half practice. in a doggy box or whatever they yeah. call it now. Start looking at labels. You'll yeah. see what a serving size actually is. My kids don't eat out of a bag anymore. They'll If I hand them a bag, they'll wait for a bowl because they know mom's going to ask them to portion it out. And you know what's <laughs> so good about that? You start feeling the change yes. and it kind of reinforces the positive choices that you're making. That's now right. you go to the wardrobe all the way back to the beginning That's right. of this discussion when yeah. you talked about opening your, your wardrobe. Yeah. And now it you feel a little you. better. You're a little more motivated. Yeah. For all the right reasons. So yeah. I, I think at the end here, it's really speaking to that person, maybe, you know, that woman who you described before that is loaded with guilt and shame. Yeah. And she might be in that spot. I don't want to create the poundage, but it's more. And guys, too, I'm there. You know, I'm thankful I've lost about 30 pounds mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, but I got more to go. But speak to that heavy laden heart. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't even know she can just put the left foot in front of the right foot. And my husband is mentioning it way too much. Yeah, It feels overwhelming for many of us. And what I want listeners to know and understand is this doesn't have to be hard. There are some very simple things that you can do, very simple practical exchanges that you can make that are going to give you a lot of freedom and movement in the right direction. Even just having eight eight eight-ounce glasses of water every day trying to protect seven hours of sleep, being intentional, enlisting an ally in your life that can journey with you on your health journey. There's a lot of simple things that make a big difference. Mm. Don't be overwhelmed. You know, our enemy is going to try to tell us that it's too hard, that you can't have victory. You've tried too many times before. It's always going to be the same. And that is not the God that we know. God says to us that we are a new creation. He says that he is an ever-present help in trouble. He says that his plans for us are good to prosper us and not to harm us. And so we are not powerless. We are not the victims of our past. We do not have to listen to shaming language, but we will need to exchange those unhealthy patterns with God-honoring habits. It starts with truth and then practical steps in the right direction, but there is so much hope. Yeah. Bring on the asparagus. Bring it on. <laughs> Preferably Amber, this roasted. this has been so good. Thank you so much. And what a great book, Food Triggers, and you've hit so many key issues. I mean, these are the core things to who we are as human beings that God created for the right direction. And then we give up the truth for a lie. Mm. And thank you for the reminder that uh, Mm. God's way is a better way. And I hope people will 
tap into Focus on the Family, get a copy of this resource. It's such a great book. Uh, be part of the ministry. Make a donation of any amount, one-time gift, or even better, a monthly gift that helps us really stabilize the budget. And we'll send you a copy of Amber's book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. Mm. Donate as you can when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Amber, again, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's always such a blessing to be here. I hope your listeners will be encouraged. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for being with us today. I'm John Fuller, and we'll see you next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Are you remarried? Over 40% of couples are. If you have a blended family, you know how complex it can be, especially when it comes to estate planning. Ensuring that you're honoring your new spouse and all kids is essential. If you need help preparing a will for your blended family but don't know where to start, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 16 Questions to Ask If You Have a Blended Family. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash BlendedFamilyEbook. Today on Focus on the Family, we'll hear from Deborah Pagay, who suggests that what you say matters. So I like to give people a challenge to go the next 24 hours, don't express any displeasure with anything. Mm. Not the traffic, not the weather, nothing that you can't do anything about. That's a challenge from Deborah Pagay, and she joins us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, for anyone who's ever said something they've later regretted, um, this is going to be the broadcast for you. Uh, We're going to talk about how to tame the tongue. That's probably one of the hardest things to do. And of course, it's not the tongue. It's just the deliverer of the message. It's our hearts and uh, what our minds are thinking about the world around us. And God wants to get control of that for very good reason. We are reminded throughout the Bible to do everything without complaining or arguing. Uh, That mandate in and of itself could take us a lifetime to accomplish. You mature over time. And the Christian community call that the sanctification process. And, uh, you know, with God's help uh, and the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can improve substantially in that area to take control, take captive that nasty tongue and actually bless people with it rather than curse people with it. Mm -hmm. Here at Focus, that's what we want to be to you. If you struggle in this area, uh, we're here for you. Call us. Uh, we have counselors. We have resources like Deborah's book, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. And uh, that's an area, if you need help, we're here. Our website is focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or give us a call at 800, the letter A, and the word family. And uh, Deborah is a certified public accountant, a Bible teacher, a speaker, uh, author of a number of books, And Jim, you mentioned that, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. I think this is perhaps one of the most convicting topics we've covered on this broadcast. It will be. (laughs) Wait till we cover it. 
Deborah, welcome back to Focus. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about this topic. It's so good to have you. You know, one thing, and I want for our listeners to better understand, I was so impressed with your your resume, and I'm not going to read everything, but you graduated with an MBA from USC there in Southern California, former VP of MCA Universal Studios Venture Capital Division. You are a finance person, aren't you? I, I'm also, a, yes, I am, but I'm also a former maid who made 75 cents an hour, so let's get that in there. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> I love that. But, you know, just everything that you've done, you've uh, gone through the John Maxwell training, uh, leadership certification. Uh, you just have done so much. You are a high achiever. I like learning. Okay, that's I, I good. I like learning. I think it's good for you, good for your brain, good for your attitude about life. I'm always looking forward to something. <laughs> I love it. Is your husband similar in that way, or how does he manage uh, your life together? We're completely, we're complete opposites. We look differently, and we're we always say we're as different as we look. Okay, so how that this is good. So how do you tame your tongue when it comes to your husband not behaving the way you want him to? By taking heed. <laughs> I love what the psalmist says. He says, I, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. But I had some good mentors, and one of my mentors always told me, she said, now listen, that tongue of yours, you're going to have to really pay attention to it. So she said, always stop, think, and pray before you say something. I'm like, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and this book has sold over a million, a million. copies. Yeah. Why do you think people have resonated with your message? Well, first of all, I think it's because God took a mess and turned it into a message because I wrote the book. <laughs> I like because that. I messed up. I, I mean, it was it's an accidental book, but I don't like to use that word accidental when I'm talking about the things of God. So I'm going to say it's a providential book. But I really messed up and told something I wasn't supposed to tell. And I wasn't being indiscreet. I was just trying to rescue somebody. And so and it backfired. I was trying to help somebody out, blah, blah, blah. It backfired. And she was so upset with me. I decided to go on a tongue fast myself. I'm going to put myself on a plan for 30 days and I'm not going to say anything negative. Now, now just try that. All so right? This was for you in the end. It was it was a personal project for me only. I appreciate that vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. I, you, a lot of people would say, yeah, I wrote it for a friend. <laughs> no, I wrote it for me. And, and and people kept, and I would put signs in my office at work. Uh, it would say tongue fast. That means when you come in here, don't discuss anything negative. I'm on a tongue fast. If people started to be negative, I'd say, I can't discuss that. And so somebody said, I believe God wants you to write a book. No, I believe God wants me to work on me. <laughs> Okay, so and, and, and this really is capturing that journey yeah, and absolutely. what you did. Yeah. Now, why are we so broadly, why are we all so affected with tongue problems? I mean, it's so natural for us in our flesh to lash out, to say things we regret. It why? is because we are human and, and also because we're not uh, created carbon copies of each other. And so we don't always know other people's sensitivities. You know, you may jokingly say something about my dark skin. You may not know that I am just like, oh, don't say that or whatever. You just never know what people's sensitivities are. And so you are bound to offend somebody. Yeah. And, and even though you're challenging us for 30 days, you started to say, you know, just try it for 24 hours. I yes. want you to finish that challenge because okay, so I, I think you're going to say it's hard. I'm, I was going to say that at the end, but I'll say it now because don't think you can do all 30 of these uh, tongues that I've listed in the book. I have 30. 30 negative uses so of one the tongue. Each day. Just try one a day or just try one a week. Yeah. <laughs> just for instance, if you have trouble telling the whole truth, you tend to tell half the truth. Hmm. Just say this week, I'm going to tell the whole truth and nothing but. I'm not going to imply something that's not true. Here's an example. I'm, I tend to run late for things sometimes and I'll just come <laughs> in. Now in LA, you know, I would rush in and go, ah, traffic. Yeah. Now, it's I didn't always say a I was in traffic. Yeah. I didn't say I was in traffic. I just said traffic. <laughs> Half truth. My husband said, listen, the half truth is a whole lie. <laughs> wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, but, but you see subtle ways that we can not, like not tell the truth. And so we all have negative uses of the tongue. So I, I, when I started this project, I said, I'm going to look up every negative use of the tongue I can find in the Bible. I'm going to find scriptures for them. And then I'm going to uh, put a challenge out there to refrain from it. So that's what I did. Yeah. And that's good. And we're going to cover some of those. Yeah. One is the know-it-all tongue. Now, the people that are the know-it-all people just went, no, don't yeah. cover that one. <laughs> so, we already have this one. Move on to the next one. <laughs> what is the know-it-all tongue? Where you just can't even receive from anybody else, but every subject that comes up, you have the final word on it. Even if you're in Bible study and, and there's been a great lesson laid out, and you'll say, but what we have to really remember above all, it's like, no, we don't. That's not above <laughs> all. <laughs> you even have the vocabulary for this. No, really. Oh, oh, here's a funny thing. When we're buying a car, because I, I deliberately like to let people teach me things, I, I just think it makes them feel better. Especially yeah. if they even think, if you already know it. If you already point. know it. And see, that's a big challenge. That's it's hard, hard to, do. to let, especially for a man. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be the teacher. Uh, yeah. I've been here, yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. Let me and show you how to change yes. that tire. So sometimes when we're buying a car or something and, and they'll talk down to me because I'm the little woman, I think it's so funny because I am a CPA and they'll explain that, you know, with interest, you know, the payment has interest and principal. I think that is so funny. I have an MBA in finance. I can do an amortization schedule in my head. And I'll say, okay, and I'll just act like they're t- <laughs> telling me something. <laughs> it's hard to bite your tongue in that case. Well, but if you choose to, because let me tell you why you want to do that. It's pride. You don't want anybody to think you don't know something. It's this fear of appearing to be inadequate. Yes. So, no, no, I'm adequate. I know that already. Well, that's true. Um, that's true. I think for men, it's hard to say I don't know, if I could be blunt. It's hard to say that. And that is something we got to get over. And, and there, I'm there, working there are on examples it. Of, of it in the Bible. That I, should be the one, the 30-day challenge of saying I don't know. Yeah, that's just, what I, I'm going right. to do. Yeah, what okay. about in marriage? How does this know-it-all tongue tend to play out in mm. marriage? Well, I tell Ouch. you what my, what my mentor told me when she said, um, when I was engaged, to Darnell and she was in the car with us one day we were discussing something and she said okay Missy (laughs) we know you're smart but don't know everything (laughs) she said let him know some things and I'm thinking to myself yeah I plan to let him know some things (laughs) (laughs) starting right now now. but I I, I took that to heart let him know some things you don't have to jump in there and say I I can do that and so I'm I'm pretty good at being vulnerable It, it just helps yeah, <laughs> it but it is—it's a maturity in Christ to be able yeah. to bite the tongue and say, "Okay, I don't have to straighten him out every time." You don't have to straighten anybody out. You don't have to tell somebody, "I I know that," or you know, you just don't have to do that. That's pride, and you well, got to call teenagers, it what it is. Though. <laughs> You might want to straighten some of them out. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, okay, now the argumentative tongue. Oh, boy. Oh, is this one hitting a little No, uh, I grew up in a family there? that liked to argue. My, I, have, mm. I have relatives that arguing is their norm. Okay, so let me ask that. The, so your family of origin, how you grow up, could shape some of these absolutely maladies. You could, you could become like that or you could come, become the complete opposite. I decided I didn't want to be argumentative because I just thought it sh- an argument should have a resolution. <laughs> Right. Not just keep going in a circle because that's <laughs> how my parents argued. And they just I, I never saw them really resolve something and say, OK, from now on, this is how we're going to go forward. It would just become circular. They just go into the next level of an argument. And I just think when people do that, it's because I think they're maybe feeling insecure about what they do know. Yeah. Why do you need to argue that? I have a, a brother who likes to argue the Bible. I don't argue the Bible. I just tell you what part I embrace, which is all of it. And if you choose not to, that's fine. <laughs> that sounds pretty definitive. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's true, and I, I can, you know, I can understand that. I think you can create an environment of arguing, yes. and some people might even say that's a positive because you want to be able to stand on firm ground. You want to be able to defend your positions, and you should. You should be able to defend your faith, but you don't have to be mean about it. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, I totally believe because that. Because I, I think that's what's wrong, even in, in politics. I'm, you know, this last election just split a lot of relationships. Sure, and I'm thinking I, I'm friends with everybody. I, I embrace everybody's right to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Why do you have to believe the way I do? Well, okay, that's a good place to put that argumentative tongue. What about, again, in marriage? Let me apply this here. When you have the spouse, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's the wife or the husband, right. just the spouse, who who is just constantly picking a fight. What do you do? What if you're the uh, receiver of that? What advice do you have for that spouse to say, honey, can you stop chewing me up? No, I'm it- not processing at your speed. I'm not... You're just killing me here. Well, well, I think you need to agree quickly with your adversary. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Bible talks about agree quickly with your adversary. So if my husband and I are in a discussion, I will say, I hear you. You see, I don't, I don't give any fuel to that. I'll say, I hear you. If he's putting forth a point, and if I don't, I hear you does not mean I agree with you. It means I literally hear you. Right. <laughs> but that helps. But because it reduces the friction. It does, because half the part of resolving an argument mm-hmm. is for that person to feel like they've been heard and you're validating their point. So I hear you will do that. Huh. I, I hear you. And then I can say, we can just agree to disagree. That's yeah. what makes us so unique. We're different. There is, and I think generally when people say, I hear you, they do hear you. There is yeah. the occasional time when the right. person being told, I hear you, knows you're not listening. Well, you got to listen, though. You gotta, right. you gotta, so it has to be You listen with your sincere. eyes and, and your expressions. You, you listen and you nod your head. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. In light of the Supreme Court's recent decision on abortion, are you ready for what comes next? And how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready, and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Join us every Monday to hear inspiring stories from people who faced their own pro-life moments and experienced God's love. To learn more, go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Deborah, the complaining tongue. I mean, again, these are societal problems right yes. now. We seem to relish complaining. All of us. Yeah. It's contagious. Yeah. And we got to be sensitive to it. That's why I call this a fast, where you become keenly aware of your tendency to engage in these negative behaviors. And complaining is so natural. I don't care. You can be in a market and everybody's... Here's, here's a good example. In the bank. In the bank. Oh, the line is long or whatever. And for people who still go to the bank, yeah, most of say, us do, do online banking. Yeah, I was going to say, do you go in the bank? I don't well, think I've been in the bank that, in you know, years. You know, like in years, you got to go there. Or, or I have the to lines send, are too long. I, I have to send money off of the relatives in distress. <laughs> so you have to go to Walmart or somewhere to stand <laughs> okay. in that line. I hate it. But, you know, but the complaint is like, oh, and I'm thinking, you're standing here because you have access to resources. Do you know that half the world lives on less than $2 a day? So the half yeah. full cup. You right. Know, so, yeah. but here's the deal. You got to be become aware of your complaining. And I think that we could actually park on this and spend an hour talking about it because it is so easy. So I like to give people a challenge to go the next 24 hours. Don't express any displeasure with anything, Mm. not the traffic, not the weather, 
nothing that you can't do anything about. And in the scriptures, the psalmist says, I poured out my complaint before the Lord. If the person you're complaining to can't do anything about it, stop talking. <laughs> yeah. I'll, here's one that's funny for us. Uh, I remember when I first started Focus on the Family, it was 1989. Wow. That was a long time ago. And I was on a training mission with another person, and we were out, and we went to a rental car counter to get the car. And the, they had no cars. And Ooh. it was just out of a comedy, you know, situation. And so the person who's training me from Focus on the Family was kind of upset, you know, with the, the agent saying, well, I reserved a car. Why wouldn't you have a car for me? And, you know, it was a little heated. And, you know, are you wow. going to get a car? And the, the person finally brought all the information up on the screen. And they said, oh, Focus on the Family. I love Dr. Dobson. Focus on the Family. And this person went... Oh, great. That's so wonderful. I mean, their tone changed like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was a great lesson for me to bite my tongue. You know, when on an airline problem or a rental Absolutely. car problem, I'm trying to always behave myself because you never know when they're going to say, oh, I listened to you on the radio. Okay, now lest I sound like a walking Bible, let me tell you, this is what keeps me from complaining. Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for my good. Now, I, it may not look like it, but if I stop and tell myself that this delay is working for my good, this traffic is working for my good, God is protecting me. That's a hard one to something. believe. Come on. No, really, I do it. I <laughs> do it. This traffic's working oh, this, for my this good. This traffic, I mean, you know, and, and I don't care if I get up there two miles later and see an accident. Well, that could have been me if that car hadn't cut in front of me and slowed me down. Right. You know, so we got to believe that. It's, yeah. it's a good way to look at things. Yeah. Let's go to the self-absorbed tongue. I mean, oh that one's, that's tough to say with your tongue, but uh, the self-absorbed tongue. What are you describing there? I'm describing a person who's always talking about himself. <laughs> the me monster. <laughs> they're, they're not interested in you, you know, and what you're about and your dreams and hopes. They're just talking about all the wonderful things that happened to them. Oh, my book, 30 Days to Tame Your Tongue, has sold a million copies. And I'm in Denver doing six media interviews. And I'm just me, 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 me. Can I ask you, though, at the core of that is deep insecurity. Deep so insecurity. So there's, there's more stuff going on there. So Absolutely. how how does the person, let's again go to the spouse. You're married to that person. Okay. But how do you begin to say, honey, have you ever really just recorded what you're saying? Have you ever yeah. heard yourself and what you're saying? How, how do you go about helping each other grow? I would take the sandwich approach. You always say something positive, then you give them the meat of the matter. And you can say, listen, I just love it that God has blessed you in so many areas. Uh, he's just caused you to achieve in so many areas or so many great things are happening. Are, are you aware of the fact that other people may not be as blessed? And it, it may not be very um, endearing to them to hear all about you like that. And yeah. so you might want to focus on other people. Ask them questions and show them how to do it. My hmm. husband and I, have, and he's not self-absorbed, but as part of networking, he's learned how to ask people questions and be interested in others. Yeah. Because you know they say that everybody's favorite subject is what? Themselves. themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I like to focus on other people. I don't want to just focus on me and what I'm doing. I like to ask them questions. You know, so, so tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah. and it's so people love to engage and they talk do. about themselves. And we got to watch that so that we and we listen to it and be yeah. genuinely interested now, in it. Here's the greatest challenge on earth when you have children, and especially, again, I'll just go to the teen years. Uh, that's an important parenting tool, how to ask questions of your teenager. Yes. Rather than just, dem and really thoughtful questions, not how did school go today? Because yeah. that's grunt. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, even if you ask them, who's your favorite teacher? Why? What do you like about her style? Yeah. Who, who, what teacher do you not like the most? What, what do you not like and about that? And why not? That? Yeah. And then don't be judgmental about don't it. Don't be judgmental. Well, that's a great just teacher. Listen. Yeah, you need to learn math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen. It's fun. Two ears, one mouth. Listen. There you go. <laughs> uh, you also uh, mentioned a moment ago the half-truth tongue. I, I really appreciate all these wonderful tongue twisters that you give us. <laughs> the half-truth tongue. 
Elaborate on that a little bit more. I like that idea of, of prevarication okay. is what the scripture calls it. Well, we don't think we lie, do we? No, let's well, just call it what it is. Lie. It's just it's a, a half, half lie. lie. But as my husband said, a half truth is a whole lie. Yeah, embellishing. But I used to be the queen of that. I would just tell half the truth if I had to take off from work and take my mom to the doctor. I only needed like four hours, but I would just take off the rest of the day. Because, like, oh, I had to take my mom to the doctor. Do you well, think... I did take my mom to the doctor. It didn't right. take all day. Do you think. <laughs> I'm I'm saying that because I think in the Christian community we really pour ourselves into this one because <laughs> we can get we think we're getting away with it but the Lord sees that and he doesn't want that he wants he us to want be it. honest and straightforward I guess the question then becomes are we a culture that that struggles with honest and straightforward We struggle with sin period and if we're not conscious of it, which is why I like for people to go on these 30-day periods of abstinence from certain things, because it sensitizes you to where you are. You know, and we all have areas of our tongue, especially, that we could be we could be less critical. We could be less a whole bunch of things. And so if we, if we tend to tell half the truth, understand that it's displeasing to God. And if you want to read a story just kind of like that with Ananias and Sapphira who sold their land in the book of Acts, and, and they said, because uh, everybody else was selling land and donating it, it was such a, uh, a culture there that everybody was sharing. And they said, yeah, we sold hours, but they told a lie. They did sell it, but they lied about how much they sold it for. They kept back part of it, and God struck them dead. I now, think a lot of people that read, they go, wow, you that's know pretty I mean? harsh. That's pretty harsh, but I think God was setting a precedent to say, listen, this we're not going to tolerate Don't mess these. Don't with this. Yeah. Yeah. No, we need to tell the truth. Foundationally, we need, to, we need to base the church on the truth. Back to what you were saying, though, okay. about your own experiences. Why were you telling half-truths about taking your mom to the doctor or something. Oh, because I was question. trying to mislead people. Listen, any lie is an intent to deceive. But for what purpose? Because I wanted them to think it took all day so I could go do something else. I don't want to say I took my mom to the doctor for three hours and I spent the other five shopping. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> can, 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 I, this is a really I, tough I, one. I is it the... ever reasonable <laughs> to just, you know, uh, you have to tell the whole truth really every time? You don't have to volunteer the whole truth, but if you if you always have to look at the intent of the heart. If, okay, if your intent, good. even the with crux. the silence, yeah. if the intent is to deceive, meaning I want you to think something different than what the reality is, then you are lying. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it is. It is. See, if you just call a spade a spade, then you can just go in and be healed. Yeah. You can't be healed of things you conceal. You really can't. Now, in that context of encouragement, uh, you know, it's so fun. It's almost like giving a birthday present when you can be an encourager. Yes. But again, uh, just personally, that can be a struggle at times because you're feeling like we need reprimand. We need course correction. There are times when you have to be helping them see right. the path and giving them hope rather than punishment well giving them hope but ha sometimes it might be punishment and an expectation though that i know you can do better than this and there may have to be a punishment but don't, you don't leave it with just that well and i just want people to make uh, and me to hear from you that you know course correction is okay god that's truth and Absolutely. that's that's something that god wants us to do to encourage each other even paul writes about that to to right. finish the race strongly to rise up to the right standards. And when you, whenever you can, encourage rather than criticize. And I think that is just so critical because it impacts other people's progress. When when you read the story of Miriam in the Bible where they criticized Moses and then uh, God struck her with leprosy, the whole place came to a standstill. Hmm. They couldn't move. Nobody could move forward. And I say that's a lesson there because when you are critical like that, it, it really impedes other people's progress. Right. And so... You, 
one of the things we can do, and in the book I talk about the fact that not only should you refrain from these 30 negative uses, but find 30 ways to uh, be more positive. Encourage somebody to say, yes, you can do this. I, let me tell you a story. I have a friend who lives, whose husband is very mean, uh, and I called her one day and I said, I just want to tell you that your merchandise is good. I, I was studying Proverbs 31, and I said she perceives that her merchandise is good. I want to let you know that you have good merchandise. And she said she kept that message on her phone for like forever almost. That's amazing. She wanted to hear Just that. that little bit Validation. of encouragement. Yeah. yeah. How, what kind of trigger do you use? And and I guess for temperament reasons, you know, you have a more negative temperament to a more positive temperament. So the the more positive person, it's going to come more naturally. Yeah. So speak to both of that. How, what kind of trigger do you use to say, oop, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to say that negative thing I thought of. And you're doing this in milliseconds. Yes. And you're going to say something positive and encouraging. Right. What, what trigger do you use to make sure you... Well, here's my trigger. The Holy Spirit will often tell you, don't say that. You know, he's, <laughs> it's, it's like a caution light. He's like, okay, you need to stop talking. You're about to mess up. And then sometimes, and I have to tell you, I don't always, I sometimes I run the light. I violate it. <laughs> Especially if somebody's not doing a great job. And I hate this because I'm thinking that's not brain surgery. And I've actually said that, but I didn't know what a negative impact that had on somebody. To one of my former employees, uh, he, he lied about his qualifications and he couldn't do the job. And I looked at it one day and I said, that's not brain surgery. How hard is that? Well, that's like saying idiot. That's a cutting remark. Yeah, yeah. and I didn't but realize But I, I could that. be right with you. But it, it, it wiped him out. I didn't know that. I'm yeah. thinking, well, you shouldn't have lied about the job. The least I'm going to do is give you a tongue lash and you shouldn't now, have lied again, about it. Again, a lot of people are going to say, that was reasonable, Deborah. No, Why are you beating wasn't, yourself though. up? I know, no. but some people will say, <laughs> yeah. so how do we need to interpret that it wasn't? Because there's a logic to that, too. The tone, the put down. When you say everybody knows that, what are you saying? Except you, idiot. Okay, so let's back the tape up. <laughs> let's back the tape up. Play that forward how it should have and been And I done. said, okay, he, he didn't post the receivables right when I was working as a CFO at this place. And I said, now, I, you know, I shouldn't have said, how hard is that? I'm going to say, what aspect of this did you find confusing? Because I could use that as a teaching moment right. rather than a moment to beat him up. And you don't add this. It obviously right. confused you. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so what part of this do I need to, did I not make clear? That is or, so good. Why do you need more clarity? I could ask that question if I'd stop, if I thought about it and prayed about it before I said it. But sometimes you're so frustrated when you're so goal-oriented. And that's why when you are a high achiever, you have to watch your tongue more probably than anybody else. Well, and you think about that, the immediate response is, wouldn't this be a better world? But think of this, wouldn't it be a better church if we had these principles down? Talk about the retaliating tongue, because that's one we need to cover here at the very end. Because it's so easy to fall into that spot. And especially in marriage. Because you know what? (laughs) Retaliate means to return the punishment. So you're keeping score. Yeah, you're keeping score. And, you, and if he says something, I'm going to say something. Why do you need to return the punishment rather than seeking first to understand? So I will win, Deborah. No, but, but have you won? <laughs> no, in the end, you lose, right. you lose everything. You lose because words never die. Right. And that's what we have to remember. Words never die. They're going to last like they're going to be like shrapnel in that person's brain. So you don't need to return the punishment. You need to seek first to understand. Why don't you turn that into an opportunity to say, could you explain more what you mean by that? And even if it was mean, the person said something that was mean, you need to say, you know, your tone really hurt me. Yeah. It's okay to be vulnerable and to say that, that those words really hurt me. And I really wish you would think about it next time. If you think about this, what's so good is this applies to every area of your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work relationships, in your friendships. I mean, this is a secret to living a blessed life and and a good life. Words frame our, our relationships. So whether we're at work, our words, you can encourage your boss. 
and become one of his favorite people. Oh, you will. <laughs> you That's will. for sure. Try it. It works. I, I've done this. My husband the other day, I said, I, you know what I like about you? And he's so used to me being positive for a reason. He said, uh-oh, is this a setup for you to ask me a question? <laughs> There's a list coming, right? <laughs> right? Saturday's list is on its way. <laughs> so I don't know Fix about you. Fix the door. We're back to that, John. <laughs> yeah, Fix the door. No. Just call somebody. <laughs> right, right. Deborah, this has been so good. Uh, what's the end of that story? Well, I wasn't about to give him a list. I just heard about a guy who was not as uh, sensitive <laughs> to his wife's needs as mine. And, and, and I wanted to tell him that, that I was so appreciate the fact that he was. Good. But he thought I was setting him up. Yes, to every ask man will. Because <laughs> it was Saturday. <laughs> but it was a true compliment. <laughs> it was a true compliment, and, and he liked it later. But he said, oh, I thought that was a setup so that you could ask me to do something. Well, what a fun conversation with Deborah Pagay on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've been a little convicted by her message. Every time Deborah is with us, she brings such good biblical insight and wisdom and practicality. That's why she's one of our most popular guests. And you know, here at Focus on the Family, we want to equip you in your faith walk so that you can be a better husband or wife, a better dad or mom. And we're here with biblical answers to your questions and solutions to your struggles. We also have great resources available to you, like Deborah's book, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. Your continued prayer and financial support allow us to provide much-needed help to individuals and families. We couldn't do this ministry without you. Donate monthly or as you can and get your copy of Deborah's book, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. The details are at focusonthefamily.com broadcast or call 1-800-232-6459. the letter A in the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Mm-hmm.